on today is outside looking in. Now, I usually like to come up with a creative graphic or some kind of an image, but honestly, with that title, I, uh, nothing not creepy came to mind, right? Because outside looking in kind of conjures up images of, I don't know, someone stalking someone else. So uh, the pastor had asked me, he said, uh, would, you, would you continue in our series on First Peter, right? Because we've been doing that. And, and I said, absolutely, because I believe in this series. And I think it's an incredible series because we have all been chosen. Don't you know that? We've been chosen. And it's when you begin to look at your life like you are here for a purpose. For this time, for this season, there's nothing random about the reason you're here on earth. You and I have been chosen. And it starts to give a little meaning to life, doesn't it? Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2, if you would. We want to continue in our, our 1 Peter series uh, with 1 Peter 2, 15. 2, 15. Chosen. We've been chosen and set apart. 1 Peter 2.15 says this, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Pretty strong language, huh? Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Now this next part reminds me of the uh, climax of an epic film. It says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the King. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and, and my prayer today, God, is that you just use these human words to, to, to be supernatural, Father, that you would send their Holy Spirit power to move among uh, everyone in this room, that, that you would take these words and allow them to speak volumes into the lives of the people here today. God, I thank you so much that you've not just set us here on this planet and left us to fend for ourselves, but you, you interact with us on a daily basis, that you are ever-present, and that we can call upon you at any time. You are here, and I thank you so much. And, and I ask that you just bless this word, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I grew up in church. For most of you that know, uh, my parents were youth pastors for 25 years and currently pastor a church uh, outside of Indianapolis. So when the doors of the church, any church, were open, we were there. We were on the front row. We were dressed well. I can remember you know, being like five years old. and I can't remember, but I, can, I remember seeing pictures of me being five years old and and, and wearing a suit, right? Because five-year-olds wear suits to church. I mean, we were dressed well. We believed that, that when the doors were open, there we were. It didn't matter if it was a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night missionary, a Wednesday night uh, uh, praise and worship gathering, a Friday night prayer service. We were there when the doors were open. Uh, when my dad was pastoring a church in Kentucky, I remember going uh, early one morning, and, and there was snow, piles of snow. And, and, and he was there already shoveling the parking lot just with a shovel. And I said, Dad, you know, this is a lot of snow. I don't know who's going to show. And, and he just said, hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if a couple people show, then that's all that matters. And so I grew up in, in for the most part of my life, in the most impressionable years, in the Bible Belt. And, and I firmly believe in, in the church. I mean, I realize that the church as a whole has a lot of issues, right? But, but it, I still believe in it. It's the best thing we have going. And so I find it very, very sad and very disturbing when I, when I read statistics that, that indicate that church and Christianity at large is just not as important to people as it used to be, right? In the USA Today, it uh, printed out a, a study that, that they did in 2001 that said more than 29.4 million Americans said they had no religion. 29.4 million Americans, not... Some other country, this, this country we live in, said, said they had no religion. 
And that was done in 2001. We can only imagine when studies begin to come through that are, that are a little more recent how, how, they, how they're going to go. 29.4 million, no religion. The same article said that there's been a 92% increase in the number of unchurched Americans in the last 13 years. 92% increase. Anyone else find that a little disturbing? And so, because I believe in church and because I believe that, uh, obviously we believe in, I believe in God, that I believe that we need to, to, to spark that. I find it sad and I, and I begin to question, why, why is this happening? Why is church not as important to, to people? Why is Christianity not as important? What, what can we do to make that important? And, and I feel like if we were to ask every single person in this room why they think it is, we'd probably get a lot of different answers, wouldn't we? And, and by and large, a lot of those would be probably accurate. Um, but, but I want us to kind of look and see what God's got to say. Uh, I was driving down the road the other day, and, and, I, and I came up behind a car with some bumper stickers, right? Does anybody else like bumper stickers on cars? This was not the car that I came upon. Anybody else like reading bumper stickers? I don't know whose idea it was to put words on the back of moving vehicles, right? It doesn't seem like driving in cell phone and radio and stuff's dangerous enough, but we post like these big advertisements and, and words across vehicles. And, and so I don't know about you, but I will do whatever NASCAR evasive move I need to do to get to a car close enough without hitting it to read the tiny words on bumper stickers, right? Is anybody else with me? You want to see what's going on. And so I was driving uh, the other day behind a car and had three bumper stickers across the back. The first one uh, was the uh, the typical uh, Promise Keepers bumper sticker, right? It said, I love my wife, or I heart my wife, and it was yellow. And then to the right of that uh, was another one. It was black and white, and it said uh, something like, a prayer is hard on the knees or something, right? And in the center, the largest bumper sticker was square. I apologize for it in advance, but it said, speak English or get out of the country. Now, I wanted to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, maybe assuming he stole the vehicle and, and didn't really believe what was on the back. Maybe he didn't know yet. He hadn't had time to rip the plates off and, and scratch out the things. I wanted to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but in my mind, I'm, I'm driving behind this vehicle thinking, okay, I don't know for sure this person's heart, unless it was one of you. I, uh, I just assume that they're a Christian because, I mean, their wife may not feel loved, but the bumper sticker says that he loves his wife. And then he may not pray, but his bumper sticker says... He prays, and all indications kind of point towards Christianity. And yet, there was that bumper sticker, and it prompted me to think, what kind of message are Christians sending to this world? Now, I realize this is an isolated event, but I think if we were to all begin to tell stories, which we wouldn't have time to do, I think we would all find several people that we know of, or several instances where this has happened, uh, where Christians are just beginning to send mixed signals to a world that is already so confused, to a world that is already completely lost, to a world that is already not sure what it wants. And that you and I have this incredible answer, and yet sometimes we just don't show it very well, do we? And so to me, that is, that is one of the biggest factors, that's one of the biggest reasons why I feel like people don't go to church as much. It's one reason why I feel like maybe, maybe people are less inclined to, 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 to follow Jesus. And, and maybe part of that is just because they don't understand what following Christ really means. Because in a lot of ways, Christians look a lot like the world, don't we? 
you don't have to answer that one. That was kind of a hard question. In a lot of ways, we kind of look like the world. I don't know how you prepare your sermons, but uh, usually the way I prepare mine, uh, God generally will give me some kind of an idea, a concept, a story, a word, um, a scripture, and, and, and I kind of sit on that for some reason, and, and it kind of grows, right? And, and as I kind of, it's kind of like cooking is the way I look at it in my mind. It's, I have like a pot on the back burner, and, and so maybe my sermon in three or four months might come out of the experiences and stories and the things God's doing in my life in the next few months. And, and so God had given me this word, and, and I've kind of been accumulating information and finding out exactly what it meant uh, to, for, uh, you know, outside looking in. And, and I came across this book. It's called Unchurched. It's, it was put out by uh, uh, Dave Kinneman, one of the guys from the Barna Research Group. And, uh, and I think a couple of other people wrote it. And, and there's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of information. And if you're interested in, in getting bogged down in that, then go for it. It's, I, I recommend it. Uh, but I wanted to pull out just a, a snippet. I want a snippet, snippet. Everyone gets one misword, right? I wanted to pull out just a portion of, of what the book had said. And, and I've got six quick things that I want to give you. Now, six is a large number. I know we're used to, used to three, sometimes four, but six is a large number. We're going we're gonna to truck through them fast. But, but what these six things are, there's six ways outsiders or people who have not asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart yet. There's six ways they view Christianity. Now, before I jump into number one, I want to I want to let everybody know. When I read these things, they didn't make me real happy. All right, they're not like, oh, we view Christians as fluffy and inviting. They're they're a little more serious than that. Um, I wanted to read in my heart. I wanted to read the first point, being like Christians are loving or Christians are kind. But but these were a little different uh, than what I expected. And so my first reaction was rage, right? Just outright rage, just mad because I'm redheaded, right? And that's that's what we do. We get mad fast. And and, and then, the, then I kind of was like, well, wow, this, this still kind of makes me angry, but what if, what if just a small portion of one of these six things are true? And shouldn't we try to do something about it to, to change? So I want, I want you to understand, you, you're probably not going to like what you hear, and you're probably not going to want to agree with it. But if you really want to argue it out, we can do it. But I, I believe there, that at least a small portion of every one of these elements are true. Uh, today. So let's just jump in and see what happens. Six ways outsiders view Christianity. The first one is hypocritical. They view us as hypocritical. People who have yet to ask Christ to come into their heart look at you and me and think that we are hypocritical. Meaning, we say one thing and we do another. You see, the world is looking for consistency in our walk and our talk, right? And they don't think they're seeing it. And and we can assume that maybe this is a new problem, but it's, but it's not. Hypocrisy is not a, not a new thing. We haven't invented that with, uh, with the iPhone or anything. It's something that's been around for a while. In fact, Gandhi said this. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. He said, your Christians are often so unlike your Christ. In Matthew 23, 28, we find Jesus talking to the Pharisees here, and he says this, On the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's not a new problem. But how do we get this title? And I believe that in a lot of ways, our lifestyles just don't quite match up. They just don't quite match up with our beliefs. The second way as we move through these is they outsiders view Christians as being too focused on getting converts. 
too focused on converting. Now, I realize this sounds like a really good problem, doesn't it? Because in a lot of ways, we don't uh, attempt to tell people about Christ enough. And, and in a lot of ways, this is good. But when you dive into what this really means, outsiders are really wondering if we actually genuinely care about them or if we're just trying to get them saved. They wonder if we really care because what we are finding now is that sometimes salvation, it's a little bit of a lengthy process, isn't it? And it's not enough just to go door to door or pass out a flyer or, or say a quick prayer. People are looking for, they're looking for our time. And, and if we're actually going to take people a step beyond simply asking Christ to come into the heart, then it's going to take discipleship. And discipleship takes time. Discipleship takes effort. They say love is spelled T-I-M-E. I've always spelled it L-O-V-E, but, but they say that it's spelled T-I-M-E because the world, the world is looking for me and you to give them some time. And, and far too long we've just been saying, hey, come to Christ, come on, come on, and then we've left them alone. We've, we've uh, gotten rid of things like Sunday school and, and ways to educate people who, have, uh, who are new Christians. And, and in a lot of ways the world just doesn't simply know what being a Christian is anymore because we just want to get them saved. Uh, the third way, and before we put it up, I want to I want to start by saying that this this could be a, an entire sermon in and of itself, one that one that we've uh, largely avoided in the church, in my opinion. Uh, but the third way that outsiders view Christianity is they Christians is they view us as anti-homosexual. Christians are looked at as bigoted, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, though I kind of do. Uh, I, I kind of believe this one because as Christians we have this incredible ability to rank sin, don't we? And we and we kind of we kind of say, well, this sin's going to be okay here, and this sin is not going to be okay. And we say, well, the worst sin's going to be like what murder, and, and obviously we've got rape, and we've got homosexuality, and we and we list all these sins. These are bad sins, but but these these things like gossip and hatred and, and things like that that's that's not as bad. And, and as Christians, we don't just judge people based on their sin, but we isolate them based on their sin. Right? I mean, maybe you don't want to agree with me. I don't blame you. But sometimes we draw that line. And though homosexuality is a sin, I'm not going to preach otherwise, it is a sin, we still have to love the sinner, don't we? And we find a scripture here in Galatians 5.19. If you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to, but but I kind of want to just give you the, the synopsis if you want to just write it down and check it out later. But Galatians 5.19 says the acts of a sinful nature are obvious, right? It says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery are sinful, right? And we could stop there and we could preach a hard sermon on that and we could all go home. But, but it doesn't stop there because it goes on to say idolatry and witchcraft are also sins. It goes on to say hatred. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, have I hit anybody yet? Selfish ambition, dissension, factions, land envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this not inherit the kingdom of God. And so often we sit in our church seats and we say, you're not going to go to heaven because you act this way. And yet, sometimes we act in a way that, that was listed in there, don't we? You know, Jesus never talked to a prostitute. He never talked to a tax collector. He never talked to a murderer. He never talked to a liar. 
Somebody's scrambling, going, where? I know he talked to a tax collector. Jesus never talked to those people because he never saw a prostitute. He never saw a tax collector. He never saw a murderer. Jesus had an unbelievable ability to look beyond our sin and look into our heart. An unbelievable ability to look beyond our sin. And I thank God that he was able to look beyond my sin, don't you? Because if he were looking at you, what would he see? God, he's not looking at you. He's not looking at your sin. He's looking beyond that. And I thank God. The fourth way, we're going to move through these a little quicker. Uh, the fourth way outsiders look at Christianity is sheltered. Uh, Christians are viewed as old-fashioned, out of touch with culture, and boring. 78% of non-Christians between the age of 16 and 29 believe church to be old-fashioned. The fifth way is too political. I don't want to dive into politics for sure, but, but the world is looking at us as always having some kind of political agenda. The sixth way and final, I'm not closing, but the final way that, uh, that the outside looking in, uh, they look at us as judgmental. The world looks at us as judgmental. Outsiders doubt that Christians actually love them. Maybe they just want to convict them. And, and Billy Graham said it best when he said this. He said, the spirit of God's job is to convict. God's job is to judge. And it's our job to love. If you look at those three jobs, you realize we have the easiest job, don't we? It's a lot of work trying to get people to feel convicted about their sin. It's a lot of work to try to judge them and try to pick apart what they do and what they don't do right. And, and it's a lot easier just to love them, isn't it? I told my son the other day, I said, son, and I don't think he understood everything that I said, but I, I said, son, you, you have the easiest job in this house. All you need to do is obey your mother and I. And, and that's kind of what God's saying to you and I. You've got the easiest job in the house. Just love. Just love. If we were to wrap Christianity all up into one all-encompassing word, that word would have to be love. And yet, that's what the world lacks so much of. So why the negative perception? Why do Christianity, why does Christians in general get such a bad rap? And I think that uh, we could blame secular media. We could blame movies and music and television and those darn video games and all that stuff. But, but I think if we were to look beyond the most obvious reasons and look into our own hearts. We might be surprised. We could be our own worst enemy, so to speak. Because as Christians, we need to make sure that we are living a life that honors God at all times. Because the fact is, and I tell our young people as often as I can speak, the fact is, you and I might be the only Jesus the people around you see. You might be the only Jesus in your workplace or home or or schools, or wherever. You might be the only Jesus the people around you see. And I believe that we are all walking around as big, bright, shining, glowing, neon billboards for Christ. We can't hide it. We're big billboards for Christ. The question is, how are you representing Jesus? How are you displaying Christ? What is your billboard or your message saying about the one you love? Are we actually living different than the world? I think if we were to, if we were to get 30 people up here, not in this room, but 30 people within the community and, and line them all up and your task was to pick out the Christians in this group based on what they've done in their life over the last 30 days, would you be able to do it? If I were to ask you, what did you do over the last 30 days with your life, would you live a life that would have been considered Christian? 
Bible says in uh, 1 Peter 2.11, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the evil desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul. The evil desires of the flesh. Now, it's uh, we're unable to rip off our flesh, right? I don't know if you've tried. I've not. It sounds weird. I, we're unable to, to get rid of our skin. We're unable to get rid of our flesh. We're all born in this world. We're all born sinful. We don't come out you know, clean and holy. We come out sinful and dirty, literally and, and, and spiritually. We, we come out and we need a Savior. And, and our flesh, our, our body desires the things of this world. And in second, and in First Peter, rather, two, it says, "Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and exiles, to abstain from the desires of the flesh." You've got to abstain from the desires of the flesh. I preached a sermon in youth group uh, probably six months ago called "Compartmentalized Religion." Basically, what compartmentalized religion, other than sounding like a, a really large term, is uh, is is the fact that in life <coughs> we we divide everything up into compartments, right? If you're organized, I do. We have our uh, we have our groups of friends, right? We have our groups of uh, uh, church. We have our work. Some of us have our school. Some of us have like after work intramural sports teams, maybe. Uh, whatever you've got, you've got your small little groups. And and within the confines of each group, you understand what's expected of you, right? You understand how you can talk, how you can walk, what you can do in school, or what you can do at work. You understand how to act when you come to church, right? And we kind of have everything divided up into compartments. Now, if you've ever seen somebody from a different compartment, you know it's kind of weird, like the Matrix crossing over. I can remember seeing, like if you saw me at Lowe's maybe, with like a cut-off shorts and a sleeveless shirt like working in the yard, and you saw me at Lowe's, you think, wait, that, that confuses my mind because you, you, dev- you belong in church compartment, right? And have you ever seen somebody like that where you've seen them from a different compartment and they kind of cross over? It's weird. But we all divide everything up into compartments. And that's not, a, that's not the bad, that's not a bad thing. But the problem is that in a lot of ways we put God into one of those compartments. Most of the time we don't put God at work or school. A lot of times we put him at church, right? And, and the, the sad thing is that God should be that one factor, that center of our life that goes throughout all of our lives, that influences all aspects of our life that when people see us and they talk to us and they, and they shake hands with us and, and we share with them, they see God inside of us, right? But a lot of times we're content with sticking him in one compartment or the other. In Matthew 5.13, we've heard this a lot, but it fits well here if you want to read it with me. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It goes on to say that you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt. I like just a little bit of salt on food. It adds a lot of flavor. Most people in the room, when you're at a Mexican restaurant and the chips are put on the table, you salt the whole thing, right? You just put the salt across there. makes them a little stronger. Jonathan Lee is the only man I know that salts individual chips. The guy has a salt issue. I, I watched him with my eyes pick a chip up and salt the chip first. Most people do the whole thing. 
Have you ever been to like Denny's or something and, uh, and, and you've gone to put the salt on your eggs and some kid thought it'd be funny to twist the top off and you just, too much salt's a little much, isn't it? Too much salt's a little much. Not enough salt, you don't notice that it's there. God is calling for us to be salt to the earth, to add flavor. Now if we pour it on too thick, people get really taken back. People get a little bit uncomfortable. People, people get a little disturbed. But, but too little, people don't even know that you're there. And so God is calling us to be salt to the earth. If you lose your saltiness, you've become no good. God is also calling us here in this, uh, in this same passage to be a light to the world. We don't put a light and, and put it under something or hide it. We, we want to put it where everybody can see it. Where everybody can see it. You may say, David, why do I care what the world thinks about me? Why do I care what the world thinks about me? But the fact is, the way people view you and I as Christians, the way they view us influences how they respond to us and our message. The way they view you and I, or Christianity at large, influences the way they respond to our message. And if we're out here trying to preach a gospel of hope and good news to a, to a lost and dying world, but the only way they can see you is, is bigoted, or the only way they can see you is judgmental or, or whatever, then we need to be understanding about that. We need to understand that. That they're not going to respond to our message until they know, the world knows that we love them. The world is looking for three things. The world is looking for three things. They're looking for a real and tangible God. The world is looking for a real and tangible God. People are tired of merely hearing about God. People are ready to see God's power. And I believe, and this is just me, I believe that things are going to begin to break out, continue to break out, like what happened in, or happening in Florida and and all over the place, things are going to begin to break out. God's power is starting to stir, and, and when you and I tap into it, we're going to start seeing people healed and saved and lives changed all over the community and all over the country and all over the world because God's power is about to become known because the world, they need to see it. They need to see God's power. I don't know about you, I'm tired of just hearing about it. I'm ready to see some stuff again, right? You kind of feel like maybe the last few few years we've kind of been dry a little bit, not not here, but maybe just in general. And I believe there's going to start being more and more outbreakings and more and more outpourings of God's Spirit. And we're going to have to tap into it. The world needs us to tap into it. They're looking for something more. The second thing is a loving and compassionate God. The world is looking for a loving and compassionate God. Far too long, we've been shouting and screaming at a simple world, haven't we? For all too long, we've been shouting and screaming at everybody. And, and people are simply looking for individuals who love and care about them. People don't know, don't care how much we know until they know how much we care, right? You've heard the cliche. It is so true. People want to know that you and I genuinely and authentically care about them before they even begin to want to hear our gospel message. They're looking for a loving and compassionate God. And the third thing, the world is looking for a hopeful and faithful God. The world is looking for a hopeful and faithful God. I don't know about you, but I believe that God brings hope and faith, don't you? I believe that we can put our hope and our faith in God. And, and people, individuals are looking, they're searching, they're crying out, and they're looking, 
for everything else. And yet we have the answer. You and I have the answer. We can do great and mighty things through God, and the world just needs to hear that message. The world needs to hear that message. I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes where you're at. Just wherever you sit, just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you to consider for just a second. Consider for just a second, if there were no heaven and there were no hell, would you still choose Jesus? I'm a firm believer in both. I'm not advocating that they don't exist. What I'm asking you to do is just step outside that just for a second and consider for a moment with me. If there were no heaven and there were no hell, would you still choose Jesus Christ? Because a lot of people, a lot of people follow, follow God because of the excitement of heaven or the fear of hell and And though heaven is going to be exciting and hell is going to be terrible, I want to follow Jesus because I am madly and passionately in love with the Savior. I want to follow Jesus because I am madly in love with the one who gave his life for me. I want to follow Christ because of a fear of hell. follow him because I love him. I'm going to follow him because of what he did for me. What would you do? Would you can still still follow Jesus? Would you still follow Jesus? <laughs>